Lord Jesus and Heavenly Father, we thank you oh so much for the many, many things you've already blessed us with. And now the awesome opportunity once again to get back into your word. Help us now as we do that to totally listen up to what you are trying to tell us and apply it properly and to share it with others. Thank you oh so much as we pray in Jesus' precious holy name. Amen. Let us live in the Spirit of God and let us be led by the Spirit of God. We can choose to guide ourselves or follow some man or to follow God. It's our choice. He has given us that free choice to follow or not follow. We have some awesome records recorded in the Word of God. And in Psalm 25, verses 4 and 5, we see here the psalmist proclaiming a very important point to be led in the truth. Because there is only truth in God. Outside of God, there is no truth. When we are indwelt with the Spirit of the Holy Ghost, we are indwelt with the Spirit of truth. And when we're led by the Holy Ghost, then we are truly led by the truth. In Psalm 25, pick it up in verse 4. Show me thy ways, O Lord. See, we can ask him to show us the way he wants us to travel, what he wants us to do, where he wants us to go. Show me thy ways, O Lord. Teach me thy paths. Note there, we can get teaching directly from the Lord. Ask for it, he'll give it to you. Lead me in thy truth and teach me. For thou art the God of my salvation. On thee do I wait all the day. He is the only salvation. And he is the only way that's going to get you to life eternal. Life eternal. Beautiful life beyond what we deserve, that's for sure. And also in Psalm 139, a very important point to bring out is to be examined of the Lord, to be searched by the Lord. We need to have the attitude, Lord, look me over completely, look very closely. Is there something in my life that needs to be changed? Is there something that I need to stop doing? Is there something I need to start doing? As it says in Psalm 139, just pick it up in verse 23 and 24 here. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any wicked way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. See, we got to know that He can look deep inside us. He knows our very thoughts. Some people think Satan has that ability, but he does not. Satan can watch you. He can see what you're doing, and then he reacts to that. But he cannot read your thoughts or your mind at all. When you become a born-again Christian, he is kicked out. He has no more access to your thoughts. He has access to your behavior. And he influences your behavior in ways that he uses the information he's already received in watching you, what you do, what you say. So it's very important that you keep your thoughts to yourself 
when there are thoughts that could be used against you. Way too many people express things that they should not have expressed. Because once they express them and speak them, then Satan has the ability to take a hold of that and then use that against them. We can ask the Lord to look into our thoughts, control our thoughts, give us a new mind to guide us, to lead us on the way to everlasting in the right way. Be taught by him. So control your thoughts. Over in Romans chapter 8, Romans 8 is an awesome chapter that teaches us a lot. It was written by Paul to the church at Rome, which was a new church at this time, and helping them to grow as we can take a lot in this chapter to, to grow by and to rejoice in as well. But let's look at the whole chapter of Romans 8 as it begins. There is therefore no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. When we are born again, we are sealed. There is no more condemnation. You are not going to be condemned to hell once you become a born-again Christian. Does that mean you can do anything you want and get away with it? Well, it does mean that you can do anything you want, but it doesn't mean you're going to get away with it. Just like we read earlier in 1 Corinthians, how we're all going to be judged and be looked at everything that we've done, whether it be good or bad. So we have liberty. There is no condemnation. But in so, we need to be very careful with what we do because we are going to be answering for what we did. There is therefore no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. When we become born again, we have severed that slave relationship that we had to our sin. That is over with. We are no longer a slave to Satan, no longer a slave to our sin. So don't go back into it. Verse 3, For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin, condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the Spirit the things of the Spirit. When we become born again, spiritually alive, then our goal is to stay spiritual and to stay in the Spirit, not in the flesh. To win that tug of war war over the flesh and to be devoted to that communion of the Holy Ghost that is within us. Because when the Holy Ghost comes into us, brings our spirit back to life, then there's a constant communication. And there's a constant communication between the Holy Ghost and the Heavenly Father. Therefore, we have that continuous connection always there. And the Holy Ghost constantly praying for us, which is awesome. As it continues, for to be carnally minded is death. When you are physically minded, carnally minded, fully and totally, then you are lost, and that's death, that's separation from God, and that's an eternity in the lake of fire looking forward to there. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. 
that peace that passeth all understanding can come upon us when we stay in the Spirit. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, or enemy to God. For it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So then, they that are in the flesh cannot please God. They cannot please God. If they are not a born-again Christian, they cannot please God. No matter what they do, no matter what they think may be a wondrous work, a good work for others out there in the world, it's still not pleasing to God until they become a born-again Christian. But ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. The only way that's going to happen is be indwelt with the Holy Ghost, and that is by accepting Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Now, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. If you're not indwelt with the Holy Ghost, then you're not a Christian anyway. And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of Him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, He that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by His Spirit that dwelleth in you. Just as we studied earlier in Second Corinthians about getting that glorified body, about having that to look forward to. It is therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live after the flesh, for If ye live after the flesh, ye shall die. Now this death, once again I'm saying, death is separation. This death here is not only physical death, but permanent and total death, permanent and total separation from God. If ye live by the flesh. For if ye live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. And that is so awesome there. That when we become a born-again Christian, we are led by the Holy Ghost and He adopts us into His family, as He says here. For we have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. Abba, Father. That's that personal term of endearment, like daddy or papa. Before the finished work of Jesus Christ, this was never available to anyone after the fall of Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve had that. They lost it. No one, all the people, all the prophets, none of them back then, none of them had this available to them like we have available today. They were hoping for it. They were looking forward to one day having that. But we have it available now when we trust Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior to become that close to the Heavenly Father. We can direct Him, address Him directly as Daddy and Papa. The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. That's that communion I was talking about, that constant connection with the Holy Ghost within us. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with him, that we may also glor- be, excuse me, we may be also glorified together. A little bit of suffering now, just for a moment. Nothing compared to eternity and the glory that we're going to have. And knowing that we have become joint heir with Jesus Christ, 
the one who spoke everything into existence, become part of his family, be able to call the Heavenly Father, Daddy, and Papa. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. The glory that will be revealed, the wondrous blessings that we'll have for eternity. For the earnest expectation of the creature waited for the manifestation of the sons of God. Our body, like we read earlier in Corinthians, is looking forward to receiving that glorified body and have that personal relationship right there hand in hand with the Lord. For the creature was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him who hath subjected the same in hope, because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. Once again, talking about getting that glorified body, not having to have this body that's so tempted, so evil, and so, so inflicted with ailments and corruption and so forth. Won't have that. For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together into now. All of creation, entire existence that Jesus Christ spoke into existence in those six little red days, He put a curse on when Adam and Eve fell. So all of creation has begun to decay and wind down ever since that happened. And will continue to do so right up to the moment when Jesus Christ destroys all of it completely. Of course, there will be a short time there, short in comparison to eternity, a thousand years that the Lord will restore this planet back to its perfection for that thousand years. But at the end of that, He's going to destroy everything. We have these folks that are earth worshipers of the climate change religion that are harping about climate change. Well, they can harp about it all they want. Mankind is not in control of the climate. It doesn't Jesus Christ is in control of the climate. He determines when it's going to rain and when it's not, not us. They have the delusion that we have some kind of ability to be able to change the climate. We don't. Can we pollute the planet and mess it up, make it uncomfortable and unhealthy to live? Sure. So we shouldn't do that. We should take care of it. We are stewards. We need to take care of what the Lord's blessed us with, including the planet. But know that the entire creation, when you look around, you see the things that are happening on the planet. You see the earthquakes, you see the, the storms, you see the, the various changes in the climate itself. That's all part of what he's saying right here. All of creation is groaning and travailing because it knows the time is coming to an end when it's all going to be altered. For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit the redemption of our body, to redeem this body into a new and glorified body. Looking forward to that. For we are saved by hope. Well, what is hope? Hope is that confident anticipation and expectation of the fulfillment of the prophecies and promises of God. If you have true hope, then you have that confidence. You have that assurance of your salvation. You have that confidence in knowing what you have to look forward to for eternity, if you have true hope. For we are saved by hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. Because if you're hoping for something to occur, it hasn't occurred yet. Therefore, it's something you desire and something you're looking forward to, confidently looking forward to the fulfillment of. 
For we are saved by hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, why doeth he yet hope for? But if we hope for that we see not, then do we with patience wait for it. That's the difficult part, to patiently await for all the fulfillment of the prophecies. We're looking forward to it. As it says in here, we're hastening unto the coming of the day when all this is going to be wiped out and we'll have a new heaven and a new earth. When our body is created anew for us. We're looking forward to that. But we need to patiently wait for that. Why? Because we have work to do. We need to get out there and do it. Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities. That's what I was talking about earlier, how the Holy Ghost, the Spirit Himself, is helping us within us. Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. That is something I haven't heard ever heard another preacher talk about. But yet that is so important right there. That the Holy Ghost is within us, praying for us, constantly praying for us in a right way. We don't even know what we should be praying for sometimes. But He knows, because as He said there, Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought. Clearly put in there. We sometimes haven't got a clue really what we should be praying for. But if we yield and submit ourselves completely and totally and hang on for the ride, because He's doing it right, right there within us. But the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. See, sometimes we pray for stuff that's not part of the will of God. That's when we're doing it wrong. But the Holy Ghost is in there doing it right all the time. And that's so comforting. to And assuring that we have... Everlasting life. When we listen to that, when we really latch on to that, we can have such a peace and calmness and joy that we don't have to worry. We have seen this in our lives. We've seen things happen, wondrous great things happen to ourselves and to others around us that we didn't even pray for, but yet it happened. Why? Because the Lord's in there doing it right all the time for us. And we can just thank the Lord for it. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. This doesn't mean that everything is going to work out great, but it does mean that everything is going to be beneficial. We're going to go through some sufferings. Yes, He done told us that in verse 18, for I reckon that the sufferings of this present time, we know that there's going to be sufferings of this present time but it's going to work out to the good. The sufferings that we go through, whether they be physical or mental or spiritual or whatever form of sufferings, persecution and temptations and so much of it. I mean, you just go on and on. But if we really could see everything, if we could be like the Lord and see everything past, present and future, then we would have a lot more peace of mind, you might say. But we don't have that yet. But He sees it all. And the sufferings that we go through can strengthen us. 
can open doors of opportunities for us to serve the Lord in a way that we would not have been able to serve Him if we were not going through those sufferings or if we had not gone through those sufferings. Because we can take those experiences and use them to grow, to bring honor and glory to the Lord, and then to help others that might be going into that same experience to help them. Because it says, experience is the best teacher, especially when you learn from someone else's experience. See, a lot of people don't finish that second part. But when we can learn from someone else's experience and not have to go through the same sufferings, then we've gained. And when we that have gone through such challenges, such sufferings, use those to grow and then share those with others, we can see how that everything that we go through, even the hard times, the good times and the hard times, can be a benefit for the kingdom. Let's read it again. And we know that all things... All things, everything, the good and the bad that you're going through, work together for good to them that love God. Specifically to them that love God. Just talking about the Christians and their experiences, what they're going through. To them who are the called according to His purpose. God's purpose. There's a purpose for everything. For whom He did foreknow, He also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom He did predestinate, them He also called. And whom He called, them He also justified. And whom He justified, them He also glorified. Chosen. Each and every one of us. There's a plan for all of us. Laid out. Before we even came into existence. The Lord has a complete plan for our entire lives laid out for us. Does that mean we're going to follow that plan just like He has laid out for us? No, not necessarily. It'd be great if we all did, but we don't. We mess up sometimes. But He had this pre-laid out plan for us to receive all the glory and blessings He had in mind for us and wanted for us, but yet sometimes we mess up. We lose out on what He had planned for us. But He's called us be His family. When we accept that, then He justifies us. That means finds us innocent of our sins and adopts us into the family. And He's going to glorify us for eternity. Verse 31, What shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? God, the ultimate power, the ultimate authority, when He's on our side, we don't have to worry about anything. He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. When these people try to bring up your past against you, when they try to condemn you, you can ignore that. And I'm washed in the blood of Jesus Christ. That's gone. Washed away completely. Don't let the devil bring it back up against you. Don't let somebody else bring it up against you. Don't bring it back up against yourself. Get it washed in the blood. It's gone. Justified. It means found innocent. Clean again. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died. Yea, rather, that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. See, judgment is in the hands of Jesus Christ. Not ourselves or not mankind. He paid the ultimate price for that authority to do so. 
And He's going to do it. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecutions, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Paul wrote this back then, and it's on the increase today. The slaughter of Christians around the world is on the increase. More and more of it, you hear the Muslims slaughtering more and more Christians, and even others besides Muslims slaughtering Christians. The Antichrist has a lot of folks working for them, a lot of folks working for Satan, and out there doing that work. But absent from the body, present with the Lord, as we studied earlier. We don't have to worry about it because nobody can separate us from Jesus Christ. Can they separate us from our physical body? Yes. But what happens then? Boom, we're with the Lord. We look forward to the glorified body. Death for a Christian is a promotion. As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. We are conquerors even when we get killed by an antichrist. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing can separate us from that love. Nothing can separate us from that adopted situation. We're in the family. We're part of the family. We're always in the family. Can we become disobedient? Yes, we can become disobedient. As he tells us, the wrath of God cometh upon children of disobedience. We're going to get that wrath. We're going to get that whooping. We're going to give that, get that slap upside the head of attitude adjustment now and then. We've got to listen to that. Lord, like we've read, starting out, show me thy ways, O Lord. Teach me thy paths. And then in Psalm 139, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any wicked way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. That's our goal, to be led by the Lord in the way of everlasting, to always strive for that. When we truly accept Jesus Christ, when we truly hold on to that, He dwells us with the Holy Ghost. And over in Galatians chapter 5, in verse 22, when we are truly indwelt with the Holy Ghost and listening to His guidance, we become as fruit trees and we can bear fruit. And these are the fruits of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, Temperance, against such there is no law. Let's look at a few of these. When you truly have that love, when you put God number one, when you love God with all your existence, as He tells us, and to love others as yourself, then you have that love. That's a fruit of the Spirit. It's challenging for us in the flesh to have that kind of love for mankind and others out there. But when we're in the Spirit, when we let the love of Jesus Christ flow through us, then we can actually have love even for our enemies. 
that joy, not our own, but His that He gives us, is way beyond our own. And that peace, that peace that passeth all understanding, we can't even understand the peace that can come upon us when we're truly in alignment with the Lord. Long-suffering, that's that patience. You've got to patiently await what's next. Gentleness, that's a tough one sometimes, but we need to always be gentle. Goodness, clearly understood. Faith, faith, something we all need. If we lack it, ask for it, He'll give us more of it. Meekness, that's that power under control. To know that you have the ability to influence someone else's life and you have that under proper control, that's meekness. Temperance, holding your temper. Sometimes that's a challenge, yes, when people get up in your face and they're doing things that you just feel like knocking them out. Temperance, you need that, trust me. Against such there is no law. They that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. We live in the Spirit, we walk in the Spirit. Let us not be desirous of vainglory, provoking one another, envying one another. So that verse 25 there, Galatians 5.25, is one of the key verses here. If we live in the Spirit, that means if you're born again Christian, Live in the Spirit. It's there available to you. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. We walk in the things He just told us, bearing these fruits. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. We display all that. We display Jesus Christ. We share Jesus Christ. We get indwelt with the Comforter who comes into us, lives in us. And then we turn around we share that. And then we have that peace that passeth all understanding that tells us about in Philippians chapter 4 that is way beyond what we could possibly comprehend and way more than what we deserve, that's for sure. Well, let's look at that and we'll finish it up there. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. That means good times, bad times, whatever it might be. Let your moderation be known unto all men. That means witness, testify, share it. The Lord is at hand. Be careful for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God which passeth all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. He can give us that peace that passeth all understanding when we live in the Spirit and are led by the Spirit. Let's pray. Lord Jesus and Heavenly Father, please take charge of all of our lives in here completely and totally. Lead us in the Spirit. Help us to mortify the body, as you say, to overcome those temptations to sin. Cleanse all of us and keep us all clean. Let all of us be able to hear those words, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Guide every step that we take that can always bring honor and glory to you. We thank you for allowing us to be a part of your work as we pray in Jesus' precious holy name. Amen.